Good morning, church. I think that's how we're supposed to start it. Uh, there's some things that I want to do. I want to do some move some furniture around. Uh, George, can you help me with this thing, please? Here. Yeah. Yep. I want the big one. Thanks, Joe. This wasn't part of it, but I don't like this thing being over here. Right there. Can't see the screen, I'm sorry, but this is the reason we're all here, so. They used to scare people like me and you, uh, but the last time that should have scared anybody, anybody was right before Jesus was nailed to it, died on it, and rose three days later, amen? Tony wasn't here today, which is probably a good thing because I wouldn't be up here for the second service. Hold on, I got to do one thing. Everybody say hi. Boy, if my grandma could see me now. Uh, when Tony asked me if I could speak on John chapter 4, I was excited. I was overjoyed uh, because it's, at that moment that Tony asked me to talk about it, I was drawn to it shortly before that. I was happy about the part of Scripture that somebody gave me an assignment on, and I was excited to talk about it. So I read and reread the passage a few times and thought I had it down and knew the direction that God wanted me to go. If you notice, I have papers up here. I'm not Brett. I can't do the iPad thing, so old guy, I got papers. The, the whole thing with uh, the summer series, I love it, but the strategy is to book in the weakest link that you have. So if you notice, I'm right in the middle and you got two good guys before me and two good guys after me. So maybe we'll forget about it when I get done here. When I start to prepare a message, uh, I'm a note taker. I jot down thoughts and ideas and notes and excerpts of, of what other people say. And then I go back later and I look at those notes and I try to piece them together. I try to put together the puzzle that I've created. Shortly after getting this assignment, I received a church email uh, and had a list of the Bible studies between the services. And if you're not taking advantage of that, I suggest that you do. They're awesome. And this exact piece of scripture was one of those studies. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to sit in front of Rich McClure, I urge you to do it. He's a great teacher. It's not in this service, but I made sure to give him a pat on the back in the first service. So I go into the traditional sanctuary, and I have a seat, and Rich starts the Bible study, and I'm taking notes feverishly, and I'm listening to everybody else talk about this part of Scripture. So I go home after the second service, and I take all the notes that I've already made, and I crumbled them up, and I threw them right in the trash. The Scripture had taken on a new life for me. And God gave me a new direction to talk about. Uh, hopefully I do him uh, a service. I talked with some other teachers in my life uh, and just figured out this morning how I was going to talk about it. So if you stick around for an hour, we'll get through it. No, we're going to try to stick to this theme of grace and truth. Uh, and to do that, we need to read the Scripture. Now it is 42 verses so if you fall asleep, just listen to the tone of my voice. When something important comes up, I will try to inflect a little higher tone. 
Also, it eats up a lot of time. John chapter 4, 1 through 42. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Uh, if you're like me, sometimes you leave this in a truck and you can just pop out your phone and use your app. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he had left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus, an Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and would, he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst indeed. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up with eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come here, have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So right there at that moment, Jesus kind of reveals himself a little bit to her and says, hey, I know some things that I shouldn't know, but I know them because of who I am. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, the woman said, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, Samaritan worship, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in the truth. For, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared... I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want and why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him 
who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying goes, one sows and the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. If you haven't fallen asleep yet, just give me a couple more minutes. Uh, a little background so you kind of know where the disciples stand and everybody else in that area stood on uh, Samaritans. Uh, about 900 years before Christ, two group, groups of people came together, created another group of people, and then nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. Uh, it was derogatory. They would call them half-breeds. And they were just frowned upon by every other tribe in that area. I would like to preface this message with uh, the Cliff Notes version of, of uh, my redemption story. And it's very small, so if those of you who heard me talk, don't worry about it. We're not going to talk very long about me. But I think it lends itself uh, to this part of Scripture. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard... Most of you, again, probably have because I freely speak about where I came from and who I was before I met Jesus. I feel like my story of redemption ties well with the Samaritan woman and her interaction with Jesus. For the most part, I was raised by my grandparents on a farm not far from here. I have an older set of ideals and appreciation for hard work because of it. My grandfather passed away when I was 16, and my grandmother passed away seven years later on the exact same day. By the time I was 23 years old, the two people that had had most impact on me growing up were gone. My mother had moved to Wisconsin when I was a teenager. She didn't abandon me. I was grown, and I did not want to move to the cheese state. My Buckeye roots would not allow it. Did I ever introduce myself? Probably not. Those of you who don't know me, my name's Dave Medley, and I'm a deacon at your church. <laughs> and wait, it gets better. If you thought Chad was surprised when they asked him to be a deacon, you should have seen my face. Because there was nobody left to ask. I looked behind me and to the right of me, and there was nobody else behind me, so I was, by default, I became a deacon. All accountability had been removed from my life. Alcohol, drugs, bad ideas, and bad habits in general had been made a priority in my life. I was good at wrecking vehicles and wrecking people's lives. I broke so many laws that I've lost count, all the while escaping prosecution for it. And I just became a bad person that no one would be proud of, including my grandparents. For my teenage years and most of my adult life, I had forsaken the God that my grandmother had introduced me to. But, big but, God never once had forsaken me. 
even though I put myself and my desires above everyone else, including God, he never once turned his back on me. Even though I would spend days in a drug and alcohol-induced haze just trying to forget my problems, he never turned his back on me. Even though I lied, stole, sought out superficial worldly satisfaction, he never turned his back on me. Even though I committed sin after sin with no remorse and looked for every excuse for why my life was spiraling out of control for 20 years and took zero responsibility for my actions, he never once turned his back on me. Just like Jesus never turned his back on that Samaritan woman. He did the exact opposite. He turned toward us. He gave us everything that we needed. If we look back uh, in John chapter 4, we're not leaving John chapter 4, so you can stay there. Uh, the first inference that Jesus makes of the truth and grace is Jesus names uh, the Samaritan woman's sin, but she, he names it without judgment and offers her living water. Uh, in 16, he, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So without shaming her, he names her sin and he offers her living water the same living water that he offers you and me. Jesus wasn't nice. Regardless of what everybody has told you, Jesus was not nice. Jesus is kind, and Jesus was kind. Jesus was a warrior. He's not concerned with your feelings. Jesus doesn't concern himself with your emotions. He's concerned with the condition of your heart. He's concerned with your relationship with the Father. Once you allow Jesus into your, into, into your heart and God to work in your life, your life changes forever. But now what? What do you do with this gift that was so, so freely given to you? Well, I'm going to tell you so you won't have any excuses. I'm going to give you the answers to the test. Are you ready for this? I'm going to give you the answer on what you are supposed to do, what you are commanded to do with the gift of grace. Share it. Share it with everybody. The truth is, we live in a time where the only news that gets shared is bad news. The only news that gets clicks and views is news that puts us at odds with each other. We live in a time where the only interactions we have with each other is a debate about who is right or wrong. We live in a time where no one respects and loves strangers, neighbors, or families. Why are we perpetuating this? We are all guilty of wallowing in the mud with the same people that we say we aren't like. Why can't we be eager to share the gospel with these same people? Get out of the mud, stand on the rock that is Christ, and celebrate a resurrected king. Back in John chapter 4, if you've misplaced your finger, in 28 through 30, and 39, uh, the woman went to tell others about her interaction with Jesus. Then leaving her water jar, the whole reason that she came to the well 
she left. The reason that she was there, the reason that she went in the heat of the day was to get water. She left it after she met Jesus. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then if we skip over to 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The whole time, before that Bible study and before I dove back into this, the whole time that I knew about this passage, I thought it was about Jesus. It's not about Jesus. It's about this woman. It's about this woman who, who crossed social lines and gender lines and, and uh, uh, political lines to tell everybody that she may, she thinks that she met the Messiah. She didn't stand around and wait for someone to tell her what to do. She went and told people that didn't really want to listen to her anyways because of who she was. The truth is, truth, the truth is, the love of Jesus is not to be hoarded. The love of Jesus is not yours to keep. The love of Jesus is not some secret you are supposed to talk about. The love of Jesus is not the property of some secret society that's clouded in mystery. The love of Jesus is not the good dishes that you bring out for house guests. The love of Jesus is not an invite-only dinner party. The love of Jesus is not cake for special occasions. The love of Jesus is the bread that feeds us daily. The love of Jesus is the sustaining lifeblood that courses through your veins. The love of Jesus is the sun that shines on your face each and every day. The love of Jesus is the living water that quenches your thirst. The love of Jesus is the greatest gift of all time. The love of Jesus is the greatest gift you'll ever receive and the greatest gift that you can ever share. Don't stand still and expect people to come to you to hear the word of God. Go. Go to them and meet them where they are. Just like Jesus met you where you were. I feel like I should take a drink of that water. The truth is, we live in a time where everyone has, has to have their own identity. It's great to be known for something, but is it something that we're known for advancing the kingdom of heaven here on earth? It's how we label ourselves, serving our Father in heaven or just serving earthly gods where we are seeking the approval of man. Do our labels glorify God or do they glorify ourselves and are merely a means of acceptance to social groups that we want to be a part of? Do we label others based on how we see them from our point of view? Whether we apply those labels based on our religious views, on our political views, or on our social views. God doesn't care about those labels. In John 4, 27, the disciples return uh, from the town where they were fetching some food uh, and they wonder why Jesus was talking with this woman. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asked what do you want and why are you talking with her? The reason that they wondered why, they were why he was talking to her was because of how they labeled her. A woman, an adulterer, a Samaritan, we're supposed to hate the sinner, not to sin, right? 
That's grace. No one is, no one is shamed into transformation, but they can be loved into it. No one is shamed into transformation, but they can be loved into it. The truth is, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're an independent. It doesn't matter if you're a libertarian. It doesn't matter if you're part of the Tea Party. God doesn't care. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're brown. It doesn't matter if you're purple. It doesn't matter if you're yellow. It doesn't matter if you're blue, indigo, or violet. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, or child, young or old. God doesn't care about those labels. Stay with me here. We locked the door so you guys can't leave. It doesn't matter if you're heterosexual. It doesn't matter if you're homosexual. It doesn't matter if you're transsexual. It doesn't matter if you're asexual. It doesn't matter if you're bisexual. God doesn't care about any of those labels. But God does care about one thing. God cares deeply about the day that you decide to make his son Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Because God knows on that day everything else that you latched on to to define your identity is gone. Everything the world told you you were was wrong. And your true identity is in a risen Savior that has paid your admission into the promised land. The only thing that God has cared about when it comes to you is that singular moment when you allow him back into your life so he can get to work. That's grace. And the correct response is for you to acknowledge the gift of his grace and for you to freely and, pro, pro, and proudly proclaim God as the Alpha and the Omega and go out and scream it from the mountaintops. The truth is... God doesn't need you, but he desires to be with you. How am I doing, Tony? Okay. There's only one label that we should even want attached to us, and that label is a Christian. How much different would your life look if the first thing people thought about when the topic of you came up was how good of an example you were as a follower of Jesus Christ? Not that you were good at golfing, knitting, cooking, running, making money, drinking, or darts, or anything else, other than that you were a great example of what a Christian should look like. That instead of toiling at meaningless, finite tasks, you were striving to actively work as a disciple of Jesus. That you concerned yourself so much with introducing people to the love of Jesus Christ that that is the one characteristic that people talk about when they talk about you. To grow the kingdom of God, we need to look like Jesus, not attack those people that don't. To grow the kingdom of God, we need to look like Jesus, not attack those people who don't. That's called grace. I'm always meeting new people uh, at work, 
And at the end of the day, when my wife and I get the rare opportunity to spend 15 minutes together uh, and talk about uh, each other's day, she'll ask me how it was. I'll tell her about so-and-so and the high points of the day and, and what those conversations look like and, and those daily interactions. And sometimes she'll ask me what we talk about. And I usually reply with Jesus. And the reason I talk about Jesus with people is because of what I've seen God do in my life. It's usually the first thing that I talk about. The reason for that is simple. The reason it's the first thing I talk about to people I've just met is because it's the single most important thing in my life. If you say you are a Christian, people should know it. If you are too scared to talk about Jesus to people, do you really love them like Jesus loves you? Like we are commanded to love one another. The entire message uh, in this scripture about the woman at the well is a moment in time where Jesus used it to minister and raise up a disciple. And that's exactly what she did. What took 12 other men three years to figure out, she figured it out in a moment. She never stood around and waited for someone else to share what they had learned about Jesus. She went and told everyone. She broke all those barriers from who she was known and how, and how she was looked upon to spread the word, and you should too. We are called to be disciples, each and every one of us. As disciples, we are not called to be successful, but we are called to be faithful, to show people a glimpse of what awaits them if they place their faith in Jesus. Now I already hear the excuses. I heard them earlier. I'm sure I'm going to hear, hear them on the way out today. I can't talk to people. I get nervous. No one is going to listen to me. I don't have time. And I don't know what to say. If you've ever listened to me speak, you've probably heard this line. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I use it over and over and over again because it's true. It's the truth. You don't have to have some resume to be a disciple of Jesus. When you're talking about the love of Jesus and what he's done in your life, that qualifies you to be a preacher, a minister, a disciple. If you carry Jesus in your heart, you're supposed to share it. The truth is, the time for excuses has passed. The time to sit idly by and wait for someone else to do the heavy lifting is over. The time for comfortableness has expired. The time for waiting for the perfect opportunity is gone. The time to take hold and steer the ship is now. The time to be bold in your faith is upon us. The time for you to get up and leave this building and spread the gospel is today. The time to act from love and give someone a mustard seed that will grow into a mighty tree of faith and more seeds will spread from is every day here on after, until God calls you home and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You owe God big time. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's it. I didn't say that. Somebody else did, but it was in my notes. 
But it's true. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. God did not send his son to earth to be born a virgin, to live a perfect life, to be tortured and die a death that was meant for us and rise from the dead to guarantee you a place in heaven for you to be timid and silent about your faith in the goodness of God. Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Did I say that right? I did? Thanks, Brett. I was, I was close. Lutheran preacher who was imprisoned uh, in World War II, Nazi camp, said, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. How many of your lives look like that? I know that mine, for most days, doesn't. I can be better. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Truth and grace. If you like this summer series, or if you enjoyed the messages so far, there's a couple more that'll hopefully bring it home and we'll pick up what I've destroyed. I'm sorry. I have something I want you to know. The church wasn't meant to entertain you. It was meant to train disciples, glorify God, and reach the lost. We're not here to entertain each other. Stop standing in the sidelines and get in the game. Leadership starts with you. You are not God. You will never lead anyone to salvation. But you can show them the fire that Jesus fuels inside of you. You can plant a seed of hope. The Holy Spirit lives in all of us. You are all equipped with everything you'll ever need to be a disciple of Jesus. In all that you do, remember that you are a child of the Almighty God. When you leave here today, make sure that when people see you, they see Jesus. Now, as we close, I want to, if you've never put your faith in, in Christ, let today be the day. Don't wait any longer. If, if it's on your heart, uh, whether you pray with your neighbor, whether you pray up front, whether you go home and lock yourself in a closet, there's no correct way. God knows your heart. There's, there's some, something powerful about kneeling in front of the cross, uh, so I'll make sure that it's up front. I love you guys, and I'm so thankful for this opportunity.